you guys are watching the questions underneath. <laughs> All right, Jeff Walsh, who is a part of our team, actually lives in Florida, but does a lot of that video work for us is hysterical. He does that. I think he's having a great time coming up with all those questions. Listen, uh, my name is Matthew. Welcome to New Hope Church on, what is this, Spring Forward Sunday? I mean, like really, as, as I think Pastor Dayton said it earlier, you guys, are, you guys are the real tough ones to be here this morning. It's great to connect with you. And for the rest of you who are at home watching right now, because uh, the Spring Forward has gotten you rattled and the snow and so forth, welcome. It's great to be with you, part of our online community. I was just delighted that we can come together and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of praise. Is he not worthy? He is so good, right? He's so very good. So very good. So, Father, you are good, and we thank you for your son Jesus, our Savior, our beloved King, and for your Spirit who knits us together as a church family and gives us uh, the power to pursue Jesus and to receive from him uh, his love. So God of heaven, as we are together now, meet us, show yourself to us, and not only in our worship and in our fellowship, but in this, your word, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. All right, so for those of you boys and girls, and those of you who are much uh, older than that, uh, I just got to let you know, if you are a little one, if you're, one of, if, if you're a, a little boy or a girl listening to me right now, do you know what? You can change the world. Did you know that? You can change the world. That's the kind of power that God gives to all of us and certainly to you little ones. You can change the world. Let me give you an example. In the year 386, all right, that's a long time ago, 386, there was an African student named Augustine. And Augustine uh, is a uh, uh, he's, he's out in the backyard of a friend's home, and he hears over the fence uh, in that home a child singing, singing, take and read, take and read. And at first, Augustine thinks to himself, well, this must be a children's game. Kids are over there playing. But then suddenly, he was convicted in his spirit that it was something more powerful than that. Now, Augustine was not a follower of Jesus, but his heart was really hungry for some spiritual truth. And he just knew at that moment God was speaking to him through the voice of this child on the other side of the fence, take and read. And so Augustine, realizing it wasn't a mere children's game, he went inside and found his friend's Bible. And he opened up the Bible he just turned it open. He didn't, know, he didn't necessarily know where he was going. He just turned it open to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and uh, verses 13 and 14. You'll see it on the screen here in front of you. This is what it says. Listen, look, notice this. It says, let us walk. Now, by the way, this so spoke to who Augustine was at this point in his life. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Boy, that spoke to Augustine, to the life he was leading, the things that he was valuing at that moment. He goes on and says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And at that moment when Augustine, I'll just keep that up there for a moment. At that moment when Augustine sees that, he knows God is talking to him and God is saying, surrender all the things to which you've been given yourself and call on Jesus. And at that moment Augustine did. He repented of his sins and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are watching right now from online or you're right here in this room and you see these words, let me just say, you can do likewise if you've not already called on Jesus. Because there are many of us right now for whom that first sentence or so, that describes the world we are in and that describes the lives we lead. Sensuality, quarreling, and so forth. Now is the time to call on Jesus if you've not done so. Now is the time to say, I'm tired of living according to the world's standards and according to my own selfish flesh, and I want Jesus to take my life and make me new. If that's you right now, call on him right now in faith and tell him, Lord God, make me new. Just look at this for a moment. Absorb it for a moment. Okay, friends, you can, you can pull it down. But I trust that you will listen to what the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you if you are in the throes of spiritual hunger. Oh God, I call, I, I call out to you and say, rid me of my fleshly uh, desires and yearnings and fill me with Jesus. Now this was, this was Augustine's prayer in effect, and this is what Augustine did. And you know what I'm reminded of? Not only am I reminded of the power of a child, just being a child, right? Singing a song, and how that can change the world. But I'm also reminded of the power of the Word of God, the Scriptures, and the ways in which God can use His Word to change a life. God can use his word to change a life. The word of God is powerful. It is transformative. It is useful by God for utterly, radically changing you and me. Unless we wonder if that's really so, guess what? That African student, Augustine, has become throughout time the single most influential Christian theologian in all of Christian history, other than maybe the Apostle Paul himself. So God can use the Word of God to not only change a child, change a man, and change the world. That's how powerful this love letter called the Scriptures is. Now the Bible itself speaks of itself. It gives a self-testimony. It's as if it's saying to you and to me, let me tell you what I can do. Let me tell you what I am about. And so it is the Apostle Paul, for example, offers this insight into the power of the Scriptures. You don't need to turn there, but you might just hear me for a few moments here from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and following. We read these words, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We read also from the Apostle Paul these words from Romans chapter 15, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Bible, the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hope 
friends? How many of you are looking for hope? How many of you need instruction to live a fruitful life? The Word of God provides these kinds of things. We go forward uh, and we read from uh, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. These words, they're so helpful, they're so important. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, the Word of God is living. Listen to this. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed and must give account to Him must give account to him. So the scriptures, they reveal, they penetrate, they get down into the very marrow of our beings, they instruct us, they show us the things of God and the things of ourselves. We also find these words from God himself through the great prophet Isaiah. Listen to these, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Here's what we read from the Lord. My word My word shall be that which goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the great God of heaven, he sends out his word, his revelation, his story, and it accomplishes things. It does great work. It points us to God. It shows us something of ourselves. It gives us hope. It instructs us that we might live righteous and fruitful lives. This word of God is a gift from him to all of us. This is why at New Hope Church, for example, This is why at New Hope Church, we are so committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God. From this platform, all the way to our our youngest grades in our children's ministry, all the way up to our most seasoned saints in our adult Sunday communities, in our small groups with our students, in our life groups, in our households, with uh, any number of friends that join us. When we are on the bedside with someone sick and dying, We pray over them the word of God. One of my number one questions when I'm in those moments is, what are some of your favorite scriptures? And we read those things together or sing those things together. And if that person doesn't have any, oh my goodness, that's when we pull out the scriptures and say, well, let me introduce you to God's promises. And we start sharing. See, God's word is so powerful, so encouraging, and it is so transformative. And it has been this way for time immemorial. Now, on a, on a day like today, we have to pause and recognize something. There are a whole lot of us that know the Word of God, especially in a church like ours, in a movement from which our church springs. There are many of us that know the Scriptures. Just like in days of old, we are well-schooled, a number of us. We have studied it our whole lives, a number of us. A question that might arise, though, is, are we a people that do more than just study it? What does it look like for us to apply it, to live it out? And this is what was on Jesus' mind. This is what was on Jesus' mind on a certain day when he and his disciples were hungry. And they were walking through a field, and they were picking some of the grain off of the stalks of the wheat. 
And lo and behold, some of the religious leaders were following Jesus and his disciples and were scrutinizing every move they made. They were wanting to entrap Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. He was a threat to them. And so they were, they were looking for ways to trip him up and to cause him trouble and to undermine him. But you couldn't do that with our Lord Jesus. He understood what was in the heart of those people. Well, as he's processing what is in their heart, he decides to take them to task. And in taking them to task, he reveals something about the Word of God, something that we need to know. In fact, not just something, but some things. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, if you have the Word of God, to look with me in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, if you have it on your phone there, if you'll just go to your app, just scroll down through the list of Bible books, and you'll come to the name Matthew. Click on that, and then you'll see some numbers show up. Click on the number 12, and that'll take you right where we're going. If you have a bound Bible in front of you, it's approximately three-quarters of the way in. All right, the book of Matthew is in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 12, and you're going to see on the screens here in front of you the the verses that I want to read, I want you to just follow along with me. Here we go. At that time, Jesus went through, this is verse 1, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. That is to say on a holy day. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees, as the religious leaders saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? By the way, time out for a moment. Uh, David, if you don't know, uh, was Israel's uh, great monarch, great king, the most beloved of all of Israel's king. And before he became king, he was a great general, deeply respected and loved and cherished by the people. And so what Jesus is referring to here is a time when David and some of his uh, colleagues were uh, on, on a mission of sorts, and they were hungry, and they came across uh, the, the, a place of worship that had bread in it, and in their hunger, they were given some of that bread to eat. So that's just a little bit of background there. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." Now, what in the world is Jesus saying in these verses right here? Well, one thing that stands out readily is a question that God asks, a question that Jesus asks. Have you not read? Can we just say that together? Ready? Have you not read? In fact, Jesus mentions it twice in these eight verses. Have you not read? Have you not read? He's, he's pressing the religious leaders Look, you're so into the Bible, you're so into God's Word, you know it all inside and out. Do you remember these things? He presses them. 
And as I look at the passage here, a couple observations come to my mind. I'll share those. And then what I want to do is share some learnings from the passage itself and then some takeaways for us about the Word of God, some very practical things. But, but here first, just a couple simple observations. And perhaps this will help with the whole context here. Uh, so I want you to note the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are so consumed with their scruples, with the rules. They're looking at Jesus and his followers, and they're eating grain, and it's on a holy day called the Sabbath, where you're not allowed supposedly to do such things, according to the Old Testament law. And so they're calling it out. Hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Okay. All right. And, and, and then, and so, so Jesus then says, well, wait a minute. Are you not aware of the story from the very scriptures you're talking about where David, he, he's hungry and he eats, he and his friends. Uh, and then Jesus goes on and he, he offers here, uh, but as, as he continues the story, he says, and, and, and by the way, he eats bread that, that supposedly is not, he's not allowed to eat. Um, and then, by the way, you're concerned about the Sabbath, but your religious leaders, don't you know that according to the Scriptures, the priests work on the Sabbath? And, and right away, there's this tension that gets created, that the Bible creates for us, tensions. It creates tensions. And here you have the religious leaders with all their scruples, and it, it goes right up against what I would call the heart of God. All right? So there's all the rules, and then there's the heart of God. Which one wins? Or does it even have to be an either-or? Can it be a both-and? This is just an observation I'm making as I look at the text, and I want us to recognize the tension there and even to give ourselves permission to just sit in the tension. Another observation I make as I consider the story here is this. It's very important, very timely for you and me. I think it is likely that the religious leaders, they are looking at the scriptures, at the Bible, through the lens of their own biases. So here they are, they've got this, this they're, they're very committed to following the law, very committed to following the rules. That's all they can see. They look at God's word and they see nothing but rules. And if anything looks like an infraction, they pounce on it. This is their worldview. This is the lens through which they see things. It's their bias. They have a bias toward rules. And it makes me wonder, to what extent do I look at the world around me, and then I look at the Scriptures, and I evaluate the world around me through a lens of my own biases in the Scriptures? Uh, so, for example, uh, maybe I, I consider the Bible, and I think to myself about my politics, I think to myself about my cultural worldview. I think to myself about my productivity. I think to myself about my economics. I think to myself about my theology. And I look at the world through the biases that I have about politics and economics and culture and theology and so forth. And I use the Word of God to justify all of that. But I never let the Word of God challenge me about those things and suggest to me maybe I'm not thinking rightly about my politics or my economics or my productivity or my cultural worldview or my theology. 
because I see all of that through the lens of my own biases and I allow the Bible simply to confirm my own biases all the time without any openness to the fact that the Holy Spirit might want to use that Bible to convict me and direct me a different way. And that's what I think is a concern here with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're seeing everything through the lens of their own biases. Now these are just some simple observations. Now let's talk about some learnings actually from from the passage itself. And as I look at the passage, as I think about, as I think about uh, what we see here in those eight verses, there are a handful of, of learnings, uh, what, what we might consider here uh, just things to, to learn, things to, to understand. And here, here's, number, here's one. And you might write these down. Maybe they'll be helpful for you. The first one, and you should see this on your screen here as well if that helps you. The first one is that the Bible is accessible. The fact that Jesus even asked the question, have you not read, tells me that clearly the Bible must be accessible at least to the religious leaders. And certainly in that day, by the way, all of the kids, all of the Jewish boys and girls, they were learning the Bible in their homes or at, or at synagogue schools and so forth. The Bible was accessible and it is accessible today. It is something you can get a hold of. It's not some esoteric book that's only for, you know, monks in robes. All right? You can have it as well. And I urge you, I urge you, I plead with you to take hold of it. So it is accessible. And I think as simple as that seems, that's one of the things that stands out readily to me. When Jesus asks, have you not read? The, the implication is, hey, you, it's accessible for you. And it is accessible for all of us as well. A, a second learning here is that, uh, a second learning as I, as I consider the text here is that the Bible leverages story. The Bible leverages story so as to experience God's heart. When Jesus is responding to the religious leaders and their critiques, he takes them right to a story. Oh, you remember David? And right away, the religious leaders are like, oh, he's talking about King David. And then he unpacks a story about David before David was king when David was hungry. And one of the things that stands out to me here is the Bible leverages real-life human drama. And in this case, there in verses uh, 2 and 3 and such, 3 or 4, it's, it's, it's David. But it could be any number of a countless other women and men. And we understand from the Bible their hardships, their hurts, their shames, their triumphs, their tragedies. We see so much of the whoop and wharf of, of, of humanity. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Please hear me, friends. We also see how God meets all of these people in their stories. And if God is meeting them in their stories, guess what? He, what? He meets us in our story as well. Whatever your story is, whatever tragedy is your story, whatever triumph is your story, whatever shame is part of your story, God meets you there. And we know this because the testimony of the scriptures is he's done it with thousands of other women and men that are recorded in the word of God. God meets us in, in these stories. A third learning that I have from the text here is that God offers, or rather the Bible offers principles, 
precepts and principles by which we live our lives. The Bible offers principles by which we may live. And we see this, for example, in, in uh, verse 6 here. And so uh, when we look at the text, uh, the text finds Jesus uh, doing more than just simply talking about a, a certain man, in this case David. He goes on and then he gets into some principles. He says, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 5, he says, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath? And are guilty? He, he takes them right to the law. So in, in one moment he's talking about a person, now he's talking about principles. And both are legitimate. There is too much movement in uh, evangelicalism today where we want to just pick one. Well, only stories really matter. Well, that's, that's a, a truncated understanding of revelation uh, from God. Uh, oh, only principles, only law, rules really matter. Well, you're dismissing millennia of God meeting people in their, midst, in, in their own story. Uh, Jesus, so wisely, I mean, this, this is just one more of countless ways in which we see Jesus and all of his power and beauty and wisdom. He, he does a one-two punch, story and principles, person and precepts. And he puts them both together. It's not a, an either or, it's a both and. Both tell the whole story of the heart of God. Both matter. We need story and we need rules by which to live. Those principles, those precepts, they help us. They instruct us on how to be righteous people, how to be just people, how to be fruitful people, and how to be whole and healthy and, and to avoid sin and shame. And so forth. These are important. These all matter. Another learning from the text is that the Bible produces a wealth of application. You'll see this also here. A wealth of application so we may activate God's purposes. And this is what we see uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. I love how Jesus turns, turns the the criticisms of the Pharisees straight to the scripture, have you not read? And here's, here's a person and here are principles. And then he applies it. And we see it in verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you'd known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And with that statement, what he does is he presses the religious leaders are you more concerned about the rules or being merciful? Because at the end of the day, yes. You're not supposed to take that bread on the Sabbath, but that same scripture also says, don't let the hungry go hungry if you can help it. And yes, we're to live righteous lives and deal with issues of sin, but God is also a God of mercy. Don't forget it. And apply that as you deal with the people around you. This is what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders. If only you'd be merciful to my hungry guys here as opposed to being condemning and critical and accusatory. So the application factor is huge, huge for us. And this is why here at New Hope we, we try to, to put forward meaningful application from the platform when we, when we preach. So it's not simply a, a knowledge dump, but it is then a, now what do I do? Or here's how I can live. Here's, here's how I might look more like Jesus. Here's how I might live out this story before a watching world. Because these things matter. And, and when you look at Paul's writings in the New Testament, he didn't write them merely to have theological treatises. He was always responding to some 
concern in the community, the churches or whatnot. And so his writings often geared toward application. Uh, a standard formula for Paul is the first half of any letter he's written is full of all this information, precepts, principles, values. And the second half is now here's how you walk that out. Right? Application is important. And we see it so much in Jesus' ministry too. He doesn't just simply tell stories to tell stories. He doesn't simply uh, give, give direction for the sake of giving direction. It always has a point toward transformation. And the Bible allows us so much of that. It's wonderful, the applicational power of God's Word. Now, uh, another, another uh, thing that I learned from this passage right here is, uh, please hear me, the Bible always points to Jesus. Always. And so here are, the, here are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, like, you can't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus says what? I am the Sabbath. And the story about David, you know, David, oh, you know, you know do you not remember what David did and how he went? And, and he embodied the heart of God by taking the bread when he was hungry. Jesus is the greater David, and by the way, the bread of life. And Jesus himself says of himself, in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, these words, it's just wonderful. This is after his resurrection. He's walking with a couple of disciples, and they're processing everything that has happened. And Jesus says this. He says, uh, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ, referring to himself, should suffer and enter into glory? And then verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is the true ink spilled over every single page of God's word from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. And this is part of why at New Hope Church we start our whole understanding of our purpose by saying simply we are a Christ-centered community. Because everything we're about is for his glory and his exaltation. And our yieldedness unto him. And the Bible, when it's all said and done, ultimately is a book about Jesus. It tells us about Jesus. Now, friends, hear me. The word of God is powerful. It's mighty. And as we've been surveying here, it has so much value and benefit. Let me share with you some practical takeaways. I, I, I need you to hear these. They're so helpful they're really practical. They're simple, honestly. But I think you'll find value in them. The, the, the first one, uh, you, and you'll see these also, the first one is this. Notice this. I want you to get a Bible that's easy to follow. All right? Now, some of our seasoned, maybe older friends here, you know, you've got a Bible with a lot of these and thou's in it, and thou art great to have that. All right? That's great. I used to when my girls were little, I would take each one to breakfast once a week. From when they were in kindergarten all the way up until they graduated from high school. Every week, I took each one of them separately to breakfast. Every week for years. I mean, it's very rare. Maybe, maybe I could count on one hand the times I'd miss in a given year or so. And sometimes, much to their horror, we'd pull up at the McDonald's drive-thru as we're heading over to the school 
and we're going to eat our, our Egg McMuffin there in the parking lot at the school before they get out to go in. And as I pull up to the, to the, uh, to, to, to the um, window there at the drive-thru, I'd look over at Katie or I'd look over at Emily, and I'd say, hey, it's King James Only Day. And they would, start, they, well, they would start to panic, and the lady would reach out the window there, good morning, how may, what, what may I get you? How art thou? <laughs> and she would kind of look at me, and my daughters are sliding into the sea. I mean, they're just, they're mortified. Oh, how art thou? Uh, I, I, I would like to have thou at McMuffin. And, and we would do the these and thous routine. The girls are just dying. They still are scarred by this. They talk about it to this day. Now, some of you have that kind of Bible, and great on you. I use the King James Bible all the time because it's really rich, and it's good. It's great. It's, it's, it's a marvelous translation. But that doesn't work for many of us, if not most of us. And so get one that is accessible. Get one that works for you. Get one that's just plain, simple English. There are no end of great translations. And please don't buy the all the, 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 the narrative out there, well, if you get that translation, you're woke. If you get that translation, that is, that is just pejorative nonsense. There are no end of excellent English translations. Just grab one that works for you. And don't hesitate to get one that's maybe got a good study Bible to it or a good concordance in it or something like that. All right, And you can get a bound one like this of any size, small or bigger, or you can get apps. There are some great apps that you can download. Here's two I would recommend. One is called the Dwell app, D-W-E-L-L. Krista and I have used it for years now. And it's largely an audio Bible in multiple translations, multiple voices. If you like the really dramatic one, you can pick that one. If you like the good southern one, just pick that one. All right? But, but get what works for you and read and listen. The other, the other app is called the YouVersion app. It is remarkable, and it comes in, in literally hundreds and hundreds of different languages that you can choose. If, you're, if your heart language is Yoruba, if your heart language is, is Russian, if your heart language is, is uh, Arabic, whatever it is, you can pick uh, different translations and of course, these apps also have great devotionals and commentaries and so forth. So anyway, get one that, that you can just read, all right? A second thing here I want you to know is number two, be a faithful student of the Word. Get in the Word. Find yourself just in it. Sit in it. Read it. Study it. Get involved in a Bible study in your neighborhood, Start one if you want. A number of you do that, and praise God. It's a great way to, to not only meet new friends, but also to proclaim Christ. Uh, put yourself in a position where you're, uh, you're, you're listening to and receiving really good preaching, wherever that might need to be. Preaching that is faithful to the text, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, always Christ-exalting. All right, put yourself in that position. Be the best student you can possibly be of the Scriptures. And as I said a moment ago, there's no end of devotionals and commentaries and other resources, study Bibles and so forth, that, that can equip you. Uh, one of the things we have going on here with our life groups and the homework questions that flow out of that, or our adult Sunday communities, or the, the electives that we uh, have on a regular basis, all of these are designed to help you uh, get sharper when it comes to the Word of God, because when it's all said and done, 
All that we do is founded in the scriptures. And, and we want to be students of this and learn. All right. But number three, this is important here. Look at this third item. All right. Establish a healthy and transformative rhythm with the word of God. Let me just be straight up. I don't do that well. Uh, Krista says, you are very particular. And what she's really saying is, uh, I can get so focused on, on I, I'm very disciplined. I'll tell you straight up. And that sounds great, except I idolize my discipline more than whatever the real goal for the discipline is. So let me say it this way. Uh, something I've run into for years all right, I have this great routine, this great discipline. I'm in the Word of God every day. And then it dawns on me at some point, I'm far more consumed with discipline being my goal than Jesus being my goal. All right? Don't allow yourself to get in such a rhythm that the rhythm itself becomes your goal. The rhythm itself is your end-all, be-all, and how you define your spirituality. Jesus is the one that defines you. Let Jesus be your goal. The purpose of being in the Bible is so we can be a friend with Jesus. So find a rhythm that is meaningful and workable for you. And maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's your lunch hour. Maybe you're listening to the dwell app as you're on your commute in to work or whatever it is. Better every other day, but you're really focusing on the Lord Jesus then you're just going through the thing just trying to get it done so you can say you got it done so you can say you're a disciplined Christian. Who cares about that? The question is, do you know Jesus? The, the, the religious leaders knew the Bible. Problem was they didn't know Jesus. And so when he shows up on the scene, they reject him because they don't understand what all the Bible was saying about him. All right, so, so find rhythms that work for you. Uh, Lexi Heilberg, our, our wonderful middle school uh, ministry leader here at New Hope Church, she, she has some great wisdom on this. She says, you got to think of it almost like music. And sometimes the music is really intense, and sometimes it's very soft. Sometimes it's loud, and sometimes it's quiet. And we have to think about time and the word that way. We, we, we deal with different moments, and we receive it in different ways depending on the context. But all of it becomes the background noise of our lives. That's what we want, is for God's word to become the background music of our minds and our hearts, constantly playing, whether we are, are uh, really focused on it or not. It's just there. We're sitting in it. As a matter of fact, we read in the Bible these words to the man named Joshua, these are the words from God, Joshua. Uh, here's God say this. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. We read this. The book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Oh, may we be those people. By the way, also, listen to me. It's very important what I'm about to say. As you establish a rhythm with the word of God, be gentle and humble. Don't be self-righteous. Look at what I do. Here's my discipline. Here's all my knowledge. Be gentle. Be humble. Be gentle. Be humble. Yes, the word of God is inerrant, but your interpretation is not. Be gentle. Be humble. Be a lifelong learner. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. 
And don't pretend you're over him. Be gentle. Be humble. Now, a, a, final, a final one is this. Very important here. Be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. And one of the things I fear in a movement like our church has been a part of, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. There's a reason the Evangelical Free Church has this mantra, we are people of the book. Praise God. May we be ever grounded in the scriptures. But may it be that we're not simply sitting and soaking and fat and happy. May we be a people doing something with it, living it out. May it change who we are so we can infuse the love of Christ to the people around us always. The Apostle James puts it this way. James chapter 1 Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. The question is, how much of us, or how many of us are willing to be a blessing in our doing because of the Word of God? May that be who we are, a people that bless because of this precious Word, and not just sit and become more and more knowledgeable and more and more proud in our knowledge. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid, may we be people who act with purpose, living out God's word for Christ's glory and the good of all who are around us. Now, let me ask you to stand with me. And I'm, I want to just pray a simple prayer. And you might make it your own. You're going to hear it. We're going to sing it together as well. So let the words just wash over you. And uh, this, this can be a wonderful approach to your time in the Bible. Open up my eyes and wonder. And show me who you are. And fill me with your heart. And lead me in your love to those around me. Let me say it again. Open up my eyes in wonder. And show me who you are. And fill me with your heart. And lead me in your love to those around me. And all God's people said,